The Murders and Mysteries podcast series brought to you by the Grand Island Independent. Check out special subscription offers at our website, theindependent.com slash sign up for more information. Welcome back to Murders and Mysteries podcast series from the Grand Island Independent. We're on episode four this week, and today we're discussing a bank robbery in midday in downtown Grand Island. I'm your host, Josh Salmon. Taking us through what happened is Michelle Setlick of the Hall County Historical Society. This is Murders and Mysteries. Michelle, this one dates back to October 13th, 1932. The name of the bank was the Nebraska National Bank. Okay, and it was on the 3rd Street, 304 3rd Street. Yes, it was 304 3rd Street. So on October 13th, which was a Thursday, 1932, it was just a normal morning, about 1035 in the morning, um, there was a a group of people that came into the bank and... um, it was kind of interesting too because it was a it seemed to be a professional crew there were five people that came into the bank Um, they had a getaway driver and there was there was also some confusion on how many people were actually involved um, but they believe there was about seven people in all involved in this robbery yeah five that went in maybe a lookout guy maybe a getaway guy something like that Mm -hmm. yep so they they walked into the bank um with their machine guns and their 44 automatics wow and um, put the, the guns in the face of the clerks and demanded to have them open the vault and, and get the money out of the vault. So a total of $47,000 was taken. Yeah, but that actually was not what they were hoping for. That was actually considerably less than the robbers were hoping for. Hmm. The big vault that they wanted him to open was on a time lock, and so it could not be opened. So the first person that they asked to open the vault, he explained it was on a time lock. They... Um, got upset and he got a, the butt of a rifle on the side of his head. So that means that it's only a certain time of day it can be opened? Is that what that means? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And um, so then the second person that they tried to get to open the big vault was the bank president and he again said that it could not be opened. It was on a time lock and he got pushed down as well. Those are the only two injuries though that happened during this bank robbery. Um, but for about 20 minutes, uh, all the customers that were in the bank were instructed to lie on the floor. The women were huddled into a corner, and any customers who came in through the doors while the bank robbers were in there um, were told to lie on the floor as well. Interesting. So then they took some of the bank workers and kind of used them as ploys or as shields for the bank robbery once they escaped. Yeah, so the the getaway driver was outside in in the alley, and the car, it was kind of interesting, too. The car was very unique. There was only one other car in town like this car, so it was kind of drawing attention. And the getaway driver who was standing out there, people were kind of trying to admire the car. And he was like, don't get too curious, don't get too close. So when the robbers inside the bank actually came out, they brought... Each one of the five that had been inside the bank grabbed a female employee at, to use as a shield as they exited the bank. So the last reports were a black nickel-plated Imperial 157 Chrysler bearing the license plate uh, 2-23650 had running boards on it. So did they make the women stand on the running boards and kind of as a shield? They did. Um, and actually, there's two different variations on the, the color of the car. One said black. One said dark blue. So some some kind of a dark colored uh, Chrysler. So but was this it, during the day this happened? This happened during the day. It was like 1030 in the morning. 
um, that it started. So, you know, there was a lot of people out and about in the community. There were a lot of people that were kind of seeing what was going on. And when they came out of the bank, one of the girls actually was able to escape. She was able to wrestle herself away from her um, her captor, and she ran into the pool hall for protection. The other four, four girls, they forced onto the running boards to um, help them with their getaway. So they left 3rd Street and started heading down what we now know as South Locust Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so basically, these guys had been living in town for about a week. I think they're kind of planning out their, their strategy and their getaways, and that's what it sounds like. That's what authorities came to um, believe, was that they had been in town for about a week, kind of uh, scoping out the bank. A couple of the girls who worked in the bank remembered seeing a couple of the men at different times. Um, one of the people, someone had seen them in um, one of the grocery stores. And, um, again, that car was so unique. There was only one other car in town, so people recognized the car. And the car also, just um, an interesting note, had a Lancaster County license plate, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it actually was from Lancaster County. I think the plate was probably stolen. Wow. So they had everything covered, all their bases covered. They did have their bases covered. And so (laughs) as they're heading down um, South Locust Street, heading out of town, they did release their hostages so the girls actually never left the city. Sure. They were released before. But they were um, – also, they had really planned out well. They cut the lines so that there was no phone calls coming out from the bank. Um, the cars around the bank had all of their tires flattened hmm. so that no one could give immediate chase. And as um, the pursuers started pursuing the, the getaway car, they were coming up <laughs> – with flat tires themselves because there were tacks and nails being put out on the roadway in their wake. Wow. This, this was not their first job. This was not their first job. And, and kind of interesting to know, too, so 1932, there actually was um, an airstrip at, at Grand Island. And Dr. Aerosmith, who the airfield was named after, had a plane. And then uh, there was another person that had a plane, too. They actually put a couple planes up in the air to try to track these, these robbers down. Uh, so then, this, how long did they have to search for these guys? I mean, they took off Locust, and then they kind of did they head towards the interstate, or it says maybe it went to Aurora. Which well, way there was they? no interstate at oh, the that's, time. That's true. Yeah, so they would. Um, it was all just gravel. Yeah, road. so there was a lot of different accounts. Of course, you know, even like today, you have a lot of different accounts. Uh, some people said they were saw them as far west as Elm Creek. Um, I don't think that was really real. I think that was um, a false reporting. But it sounds like what they actually had done is gone down what we now know today as Highway 34 was the direction that they were headed. Towards like the Aurora area. Yep. And so it was actually in kind of the Giltner area that the planes lost track of them. Interesting. So then they don't know what happened to them. So they searched for these guys. How long did they look for these guys? Well, I I don't know for sure. We don't have any documentation of how long they looked for them, but I believe they probably continued to look for them for a very long time. And of course, reports were going out across the state to be on the lookout for this car. So authorities, you know, in the eastern part of the state and even the western part of the state, but I think they really were headed to the east, were on the lookout for this car. So one of the people that saw the car, this is interesting, was uh, Gus Fawner, a very famous name here in Grand Island. Yep. The car was seen by Gus Fawner when it sped past the OK Farm on South Locust Street and crashed into a dairy truck belonging to Ray Castile. Only the hubcap was damaged. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So, so yeah, the OK Farm actually is where Fawner Park sure. is today. Mm-hmm. So that was Gus Fawner's home. Yeah, so he was one of those that reported seeing that car traveling at a high rate of speed speed past his place said maybe going 70 miles an hour that kind of thing and again heading towards hamilton county somewhere now was this robbery part of a brash area of bank robberies at that time by one crew or was it a loan effort by a separate group 
Or does anyone even know? When Murders and Mysteries continues. At the Grand Island Independent, our award-winning staff provides the best in news, sports, and photography. Your trusted source since 1870 is the Grand Island Independent. Special subscription offers are available. Visit theindependent.com slash signup for more information. We're on episode four of Murders and Mysteries podcast series from the Grand Island Independent. Josh Salmon with Michelle Setlick. And so there was other banks in the area uh, that, that have gotten robbed in 1932, right around the same time. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. There were a lot of different bank robberies around that same time. Hastings had a big bank robbery a year before, in 1931. Uh, about two years after the Grand Island robbery, the Kearney, Fort Kearney State Bank in Kearney was robbed. And that one had a lot of the same hallmarks of the Grand Island robbery. The uh, women employees were taken as shields. So I don't know if it was a copycat or if it was some of the same crew. But also during that same time, some of the smaller communities as well were having some robberies. Minden Bank had been robbed twice in a four-year period. Uh, The Red Cloud Bank, Central City, York, Aurora, Fairbury, all reported robbers at the same time. So they're kind of linking these maybe to the same group of guys. Yeah, so it sounded like, at least in some of them, potentially the Grand Island one, maybe the Kearney one, were a professional crew that were traveling around the Midwest robbing banks during this period of time. And the robbers, when they came in, they had semi-automatic machine guns. Um, and they had uh, automatic um, pistols, and wow. they had a shotgun, a sawed-off shotgun as well. So they were well-armed when they came in. But the Grand Island one, nobody except for you know maybe getting hit with the gun butt to the head, nobody really got hurt or killed. Yeah, no one was seriously hurt, and no one was killed in the robberies. But the robbers, they got away with $47,000. And of that, some of that was bonds. And interestingly enough, a few years later, it was being reported, or even a year later, because this happened in October, so in the spring, they were reporting some of these bonds were turn being up turning up in Kansas. So mm. they were they were trying to apparently get some money out of these bonds as well. And so some of the bonds that could be related back to Grand Island were being found in Kansas. Right, but they never did get these guys. They didn't get these guys, although there was a, um, a mobster from Chicago. His name was Willie Starkey. And... Um, or Sharkey, sorry, Willie Sharkey. He was believed to be involved in the Grand Island robbery. He had been um, a suspect in various other robberies. He was with a crew, um, but he was also um, suspected of a kidnapping. And so he was in jail awaiting trial for this kidnapping um, in in uh, Chicago area. And he actually ended up killing himself. He committed suicide in, in jail. Huh. So they were never actually able to tie him directly to the Grand Island robbery. But there was some suspicion that maybe he resembled one of the people that was involved in the robbery. Um, and a lot of the guys dressed the same at this period of time. They dressed, the, they dressed the same. And, um, you know, all of them were, um, they were different ages. Um, there were some that, had suggested that some of these robbers were light complected or olive skinned, which in that case they were kind of talking about maybe they were of like Italian descent, hmm, right? Um, which might you know tie in with some of the Chicago sure. um, gangs that and, were yeah. you know were kind of roaming around the area. Willie Sharkey, what a great mobster name, right? That's yeah, a, that's a great mobster name. 
So yeah, so these guys got away. So then, what happened to the bank? It, it really, uh, it really hurt business. Besides taking the money, it did. So the the bank itself, they actually were insured. So even though they lost forty seven thousand dollars, they had enough insurance to cover the loss. Um, but the the investors and the depositors really lost confidence in the bank. And so in nineteen thirty three, so just a year later, the bank itself went into conservatorship, hmm. and. Um, then 1934, the Nebraska National Bank was actually liquidated, but there was a new bank that was established at the same time. It was the Overland National Bank of Grand Island, and um, they actually met in the meeting, uh, their meeting, their first meeting and electing their officers, and then they later established themselves in the same location as the Nebraska National Bank. Um, so the Overland Bank, you know, they basically took over where the Nebraska National Bank left off when they were liquidated. Interesting. So, yeah, these guys got away with it. That's a uh, quite a big robbery, $47,000 in, in bonds and cash back then, and uh, nobody got seriously injured. So In 1932, just at the start of the Depression. Yeah. Pretty, pretty weird stuff, and you know, all this, all these years later, they still don't have any any leads to what happened. So, very interesting. Yes. Very cool. Thank you very much, Michelle. Thank you. This wraps up episode four of Murders and Mysteries podcast series. Thank you to my guest, Michelle Setlick of the Hall County Historical Society. Next week in episode five, we hear about a love triangle from former neighbors with one person ending up dead. See you next time. Murders and Mysteries podcast series from the Grand Island Independent is copyrighted by Lee Enterprises 2022.